Welcome and happy Friday. It's December 16th, 2016, and this is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor and a podcast producer. Lilith Marcus, who's a digital editor for us. Meredith Carey is also a digital editor and a podcast producer for us. And today we're going to talk about a theme that we're seeing in the travel space where people who are good at one thing and do it really, really, really well, like run a hotel, run a cruise line, something like that, are branching out and starting to do other things. And we're going to start it off with an interview that Lilith conducted. Um, maybe, Lilith, why don't you tell us who you talked to and what it was about? Sure. So I spoke with Edie Rodriguez, who is the, she has a really long and fancy sounding title, but the CEO and chair of Crystal, formerly Crystal Cruises. And the reason I say formerly is that they are now expanding their brand and getting into air travel and are doing an air cruise, which I thought was really interesting. And that's what she and I talked about. And if you can hear any loud noises behind us, we are surrounded by the festive celebrations of the rest of Condé Nast. So if you hear someone screaming, Nothing's gone wrong. They're just having a really good time. Don't worry, we weren't invited. <laughs> it's party time at uh, in New York in December. So, uh, okay, so we're going to listen to this interview right now. Hi there, it is Lilith Marcus, and I am here with Edie Rodriguez, who is the chair and CEO of Crystal. Edie, did I leave anything out of your title? Well, I'm chairman, CEO, and president of All Things Crystal. Well, I'm glad you said All Things Crystal. Because this week we are talking about brand expansions, and Crystal has definitely been going through a really interesting one lately. First of all, I'd love to know how does a cruise company get in the airline business? How do people sign up for this flight, and how do they learn about it? Sure. What we've done with this is we actually bought our own 777, and we are configuring her for just 84 flatbed Crystal exclusive class seating. She will go around the world, fully curated in the crystal style, on land and in the sky, for 14, 21, and 28-day journeys. And we're launching on August 31st with a fabulous, iconic luxury hotel partner, the Peninsula Hotel Group. And it's very easy to book. You can go and call any travel consultant around the world or call Crystal Cruises, and we'll be happy to help you decide and take that booking. The amenities that you think of when you think of a cruise, at least for me, I would say I think of only having to unpack once. I think of having dinner with the same people every night. How do you translate that into being on an airplane? Well, the guests, just like on Crystal Cruises, need never unpack and repack because the butler will do it for them. Now, with regard to dining, they can dine on our aircraft or certainly on the ground when we visit these great destinations. It's all about choices. Some people in the group are looking to do things with everybody else, and some are looking for their own variation. So you don't have to just follow along and do everything together. So in terms of places that you can go, you know, there are certain places that you'd love to get to, but they don't have airports. Or there are places that aren't as accessible by ocean. So what comes into mind when you're trying to decide, is this something that the cruise will go to, or is this something that the plane will go to? The plane experience is different than the cruise experience. If there happens to be an ocean or a coastal town, that's great. That's a nice to have. But that's not the genesis of the planning. The planning is taking really a white canvas and saying, okay, what themes or what places in the world do these very well-traveled luxury travelers want to see in an expeditious way? Meaning, yes, we are limited to where a 777 can land, but then we can take smaller planes from there if need be. 
So when I think about brand expansion, part of it is that you guys are also getting into the flight business, but you're also doing a lot to upgrade your ships and start going to some new destinations, in particular Antarctica. Could you tell me a little about that? Sure. Well, we've gone to Antarctica for years on our Symphony and Serenity already, but we are also building new expedition yacht vessels that will be able to literally go from a Northwest Passage sailing from Anchorage to New York, up and around, and then all the way down to Antarctica. And since they will be equipped with everything from Zodiac, submarines, helicopters, it will be true luxury adventure expedition type experience. And I think one common criticism of the cruise industry, especially when you're getting to really delicate parts of the world like Antarctica, there's been a lot of pushback about the environmental damage or what's left behind by cruise ships. Is greening your ships something that you guys are thinking about? Well, always, and yes, of course, and particularly as we build new. But what I will tell you is that we already are so cognizant of this that we go well beyond the call of duty. So I'll give you an example. When we launched our very successful Northwest Passage sailing last August, it made history as the largest vessel to ever traverse the Northwest Passage. Yes, it was only possible, sadly, because of global warming, but we paid extra for a different category of fuel. We did everything possible and to a tune of several millions in an incremental additional expense to make sure that we were as environmentally friendly as possible. And also taking into consideration these local Inuit communities. And I have to tell you, we did such a stellar job that the local communities asked us to please please come back and do it again because they were very appreciative of how we respected their environment. And I guess that leads to one logical question, which is what's next? Well, we have certainly moved from Crystal Cruises to Crystal, the world's most luxurious lifestyle and hospitality brand portfolio. And to that end, we are building three new ocean vessels for our Crystal Cruises fleet. And when they come out, the first one being 2022, it will be the first time ever that an ocean vessel with regularly scheduled cruise departures will concurrently have residences at so condos at sea. So we're really excited about those three vessels and having crystal residences at sea. We launched the Crystal Mozart, our first in our Crystal River Cruises fleet. So Mozart is actually getting six new build river vessel sisters, two each in 17, two in 18, and two in 19. One thing that I find interesting is lately there have been a lot of lifestyle brands that have branched out into hospitality, like West Elm and Restoration Hardware are both opening hotels in New York City. Do you see it working the other way? You know, are there going to be crystal branded handbags? Will there be a crystal reality show? Well, never say never, but it's not really in our plan at this time, but we certainly get approached on so many variations. So time will tell. All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for calling in, Edie. It was a real pleasure to have you. It was my crystal pleasure. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Edie. And thank you, Lilith, for doing the interview. Let me just back up for a second because I want to go back to something she was saying earlier about the length of these flights that they're doing. So they bought a plane. They are booking flights. 
She said 14 days? Yeah. What, what, and, that's the, you, and that's the lower end of so the So recap that. What What is she talking about there? So imagine, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but the air version of a cruise. So with a cruise, you'd assume there are a couple travel days, but then you're also stopping at destinations along the way. So instead of doing that by ship, you're doing that by air. And so because they partnered with Peninsula, every time that you stop somewhere, if you're staying overnight, you're staying at a Peninsula hotel. Okay, that makes sense. And, oh. and how long are the stopovers? Do you did she give you a sense of that? Yeah, there were a couple that were one day, a couple that were two day. But because it's a luxury brand, there's all kinds of things that you can build in if you decide that you want to stay longer in a certain location, and then you can pick back up later. Do you sleep on the plane at all? I mean, do you sleep on planes? I think that's the question. <laughs> that's on a whole other podcast, no. But I was just curious if it was configured that every flight was short enough that essentially you're really going on a peninsula trip facilitated by Crystal, or if the hospitality component was crucial that it was Crystal. Because it that, I think, is very complicated because actually it's not really a Crystal product, it's a Crystal and Peninsula product. Well, that you're getting at something that she said 54 seats on the plane, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so not a lot of seats, so they must be... And they're all lie flats. They're too. all lie flats. Yeah. So, again, to Mark's point, like, what about the on-plane experience kind of reflects the cruise? I mean, she just talked about a butler unpacking for you... On the plane? On a plane. Oh. And, again, I was thinking that was in the hotel. Is that hotel. in the hotel? Well, it's I think both. both. So they, it's a matter of also getting rid of a lot of the stuff that comes with air travel, because I like flying, but the idea of oh my God, I'm going to have to repack all of my stuff, go back through airport security, like go back through the scanner. That all sounds terrible doing it a lot in a 14-day period. So part of that is if you leave all your stuff at the hotel, some magic butler just packs it all back up for you and does that part of the process. So they might be getting it on the plane for you. They might be putting it in the hotel room for you. It sort of depends where in the itinerary you are. Got it. They take care of your shit, And she also mentioned that you can eat on the plane. And I would just like to say, I really hope it is great airplane food because- (gasps) It better be. That is a hard feat. How's the crystal food on on the ships? I have not been on a crystal cruise. I've not been on a crystal cruise. I love cruises, but I've not been on a crystal cruise. What I would give you, just a little tidbit that I tip that I heard this week, if you are flying business on a plane and you want to upgrade your food experience, give them your order when they take the order, but say, I'll wait to eat for two hours. Because if you're not eating with everybody else, you can say, could you get my steak a little bit rarer? Could I have the soup extra Mark, hot? Mark, you can never make a steak rarer. <laughs> But but I, I would just remind you, if you're on a plane and you're in business, but you want even more attention, delay your edibles. Or get the special meal, right? Like, If you get the special meal, you'll never get upgraded. Remember, if you're in economy and you get the special meal, they can't upgrade you because they're not going to bring an economy meal to a business class ah, seat. Secret. So if you have dietary requirements, I would always suggest bring stuff with you because you, you'd rather have an upgrade than an onboard version of whatever you need to eat. True that. That was a diversion. Back to her. I will say the idea of an air cruise certainly appeals to me as a person who gets seasick. I didn't even think about that. Well, do they go to the same number of places in the 14 days as a cruise itself would? You know, I mean. Right. No, they don't have whole days at in air, I guess, the way that you would at sea yeah. on a cruise. Like it doesn't take eight hours to get from one island to the next island. It might be a really short flight instead. But that, you see, that's my question, and that's what I think is interesting about this sort of brand elasticity, that if you're not spending the majority of your time on the plane, the way you would on a cruise ship, 
Is it really a crystal yeah. experience? Or how can crystal crystallify that experience? I'm sure they'll manage somehow, but I don't instantly understand how it's rather peninsular doing a beautiful experience and the travel's a bit easier. Yeah, I think part of what appeals to a lot of people about cruises that I think this air cruise does is get rid of a lot of the planning. You know, you could easily set up all of these flights on your own if you were really motivated about where you wanted to go. But I think it's the level of service that you get used to from a brand like that. If you've taken one of their cruises in the past and you really liked how seamless the experience was, why not get that in a slightly different form and have somebody else handling all the logistics for you? But I can see, obviously, Four Seasons has done a similar round-the-world air cruise. And that, to me, in some ways feels more logical because I see a hotel extending its know-how to your transit as slightly more intuitive than a cruise company trying to cruisify other methods of transit. But I do think that the kind of add-ons, like the trips and things that you can get on a cruise, those are things that someone like a hotel who's branching out into trip planning will not have already banked. I think that maybe the one place they're expanding is in non-coastal cities because they probably already have excursions for all of the coastal cities they're going to. So this gives them a chance to be curators of of an inland city or or destination experience. And one thing that I think is interesting is how they're approaching staffing these air cruises is that they're enlisting regular crystal staff and training them as flight attendants, not the other way around. So they do want people who are used to sort of the cruise experience, booking all those excursions, who are used to the logistics and the schedule, and giving them intel about how to work on a plane instead of trying to teach flight attendants and go the other way. And the amount of contact that you have with passengers on a cruise is a lot different than the amount of contact a flight attendant would have with a passenger who's on their flight for two hours and then leaves forever. But this is my challenge, or maybe I'm, you know, I love the idea of these these round-the-world air cruises in theory, but when I think about the experience you get, I love cruising, but I like cruising with my own table with my loved ones, not being on the captain's table or with a group of people every night. I like the idea that you can avoid that person who wants to befriend you. If it's 54 of you on a plane... It's not going to happen. You're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And also, it does seem like it's a a certain kind of challenge for them to, like, there must be a lot of regulations that people have to get used to. Flying is very tightly regulated, right? So there's a lot of training that they have to do moving it in that direction. So it is an interesting move. And I do think, Meredith, your notion that, that this is about opening up new markets for them that they can't get to from the sea or from an ocean is probably the most compelling piece of it for them, you know? But I think... Mark, to your point about the Four Seasons jet, this feels to me also like a little bit more of a straight-on version of a brand having a sense of the kind of experience it provides, like a very tight version of that, and taking that to a new place. And let's not like let's not screw around with this. This is a plane that costs one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a seat. We know because we sent somebody on one. Zach Everson <laughs> had the luckiest trip Assignment in the world. Everybody. Exactly. We all hate him. <laughs> Zach's piece is called How the Four Seasons Private Jet Compares to a Commercial Plane. And the answer is, it doesn't. <laughs> no, not, not one bit. Your Spoiler life alert. sucks. And his is great. But if you think 117, if you're looking at renting a private plane, per seat compared to renting a private plane for even a reasonably short journey 
is reasonably price competitive. Of course, it's also the price of a house in some cities. But if you set that aside and you think about the people who are already renting private jets, if they want to take away, to Lalit's point, having to think about anything in that wonderful spoil me, spoil me kind of way, a couple spending 250000 including tax, quarter of a million dollars, that's not that different from a big, chunky charter of a private jet. Except, except the word private. Because this is not a private jet, right? It's a not a lot of people. Uh, do, you, do you guys know how many people can fly on this thing? Uh, Zach I doesn't really talk about it. I'm not certain, but it's... The Four Seasons is a slight... Is, from what I remember, the Four Seasons is slightly larger than the Crystal configuration. It's a 757, so it's a pretty big plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's under 100. It's under 100, I believe. But um, I'm sure Four Seasons can let us know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, but I think it's also self-selecting. I think that's part of... It's sort of like the club floor. You assume that some, and maybe this is right or wrong, but you assume that someone who can afford this will know how to participate in this. Just a couple of the things that are on the Four Seasons jet, which I don't know the relationship of these to the Four Seasons itself, but you know, Zach went through and did a kind of funny comparison between what you get on the jet. He also, mind you, flew from Costa Rica to Hawaii, which is not shabby either. No, it's not. <laughs> Zach has a good life. Um, and, it, and so he's on the thing for 11 hours. He got a nice, strong taste of it. That's yeah. not a short flight. But he got on the, on the Four Seasons jet, he got... Uh, Dom Perignon, that was the complimentary beverage on boarding. 2006, I don't know if that's a you know particularly momentous vintage, but it's always good. He had five windows on his seat. You know, we've seen Etihad do... Etihad has what they call their flying apartments, right? And that feels like yet a different version of this, although they're not... like In the way that Crystal is sort of putting residences at sea which is, feels very, very interesting and curious to me. Um, they're not doing that, obviously. You're not going to stay on the plane forever and ever, but they are somehow you know, getting into a space that is a hybrid. Uh, it's not what we normally think of with plane travel. Um, you, know, you mentioned, Lilith, in the interview, a couple of the other non-conventional travel brands that are getting into the travel space. Let's talk about those for a minute. You mentioned West Elm, for example. Right. So a couple of housewares and design brands. So West Elm, Restoration Hardware, and Parachute are the ones that come to mind for me. So to me, this feels somewhat logical because these are companies that supply stuff for hotels anyway. Parachute Home has an entire separate line that's just that's linens just for hotels like that can stand up to the really intense washing and like the higher temperatures and so they were selling this line directly to hotels and then sort of got thinking oh wait a minute and some hotels do have a shoppable component where if there's something from the room that you really like you might be able to go down to the front desk and see if they'll sell it to you or sometimes they have them in the gift shop or there's a a way to order it and get a discount or something so I think it was natural for these companies that are already outfitting third-party hotels to start saying, wait a minute, why can't I just do this for myself? Do you have any sense of, you know, why they wouldn't just go at that in a more kind of merchandise way? Like, what is the brand equity that they're trading on in a situation like that? Does a person staying in a hotel really feel like West Elm is adding value to that? I think when it comes to brands, I would think, in my mind, like West Elm and Restoration Hardware, which do have a following of sorts in the US where people exclusively will shop there because they trust the design judgment. Um, And when you're thinking about wanting to stay in a really stunning hotel and 
that's what's comfortable to you is West Elm or Restoration Hardware, then yeah, you're going to pick that hotel because it's going to be an, an opportunity that's different from what you would get at your quote unquote, like more average hotel. It's something that's new and exciting, but equally familiar. But hotels have this veneer of glamour, which is very undeserved. Running a hotel is really hard work, and the margins are really tight, and operations are really difficult, and things go wrong all the Yes, I've seen faulty towers. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I remember maybe 15 years ago writing about a phase when Italian fashion brands were opening hotels, the Versace, Palazzo Versace, the Bulgari hotels. Um, And then Ralph Lauren was also doing vacations. Ralph Lauren as a brand was not, it was not opening hotels. And I spoke to a luxury goods analyst about this and he said to me, Anyone who is making money out of turning a $200 cow into four $4,000 handbags is an idiot to open a hotel. Because when the TV doesn't work in your room at Palazzo Versace, it's Donatella you hold accountable. Ralph Lauren instead gets a fancy hotel that knows exactly how to run all the bits and pieces, and you would get a welcome basket of goodies and a Ralph Lauren experience. You would have some day trip which had been picked for you as a Ralph Lauren traveler. And that, to me, is a much cleverer way to hijack hospitality. West Elm and Restoration Hardware, sure, they know how to produce chairs that don't break in a hotel room, but what happens when the room service is cold? What happens when you don't get the room you want? What happens when the rate is too high and there's a mistake on your charge? You walk into your local West Elm store and you call the manager and you say, hey, I had a problem at the West Elm Hotel. I mean, it's a really interesting point, and I guess maybe what they're trading on is I would imagine that many more people are familiar. I could be completely wrong about this, but many more people globally are familiar with West Elm, or at least in the United States, than W Hotels, for example, right? No? You think I'm wrong? So, one you thing that I thought was... You think I'm wrong. Sorry, I'm making a face. I think, I think West Elm, <laughs> as, as, the, as the token, token <laughs> foreigner, foreigner. Here, I think both West Elm and Restoration Hardware are incredibly American-centric brands and companies, and that's another challenge. If you put... There is a West Elm in London, There is a West Elm. I think there might be a couple now. There isn't a restoration hardware. I think if you're looking for a domestic market, fine. But there's a W in in rural China. There is a W in Bombay. There is a W in Bogota. I think the brand awareness globally Globally. is much higher. But not domestically. But they're not looking at putting these hotels in international countries. West Elm is going in in 2018. They're going into Savannah, Detroit, and Minneapolis. Parachute is having a one-bedroom. Well, I want to talk about No, but that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's important. Savannah, Detroit, Detroit and Minneapolis. not New York, not Los well, Angeles. Well, Restoration is going to be in New York. Yeah, but... But I want to talk about the parachute thing for a minute because it is kind of a different tack. It's a one... It's one bedroom. Yeah, so the Parachute Hotel is more like, in my opinion, a parachute Airbnb. So Parachute is... I feel like it's super well-known in L.A., but not as much outside of L.A. Like, they're considering opening up a New York City store to get more brand awareness. They do but have right some now, of the softest towels in the world. Oh, they are yeah, so lovely. Oh, yeah, I have lovely. a duvet cover from them. I love them. But I think in terms of the actual brick-and-mortar store, it's in Los Angeles. Specifically, it's in Venice Beach. It very much fits in with the kind of vibe in that area. Like, the owner goes to Moon Juice and... So it, it very much fits, like, a super specific Venice Beach, Los Angeles aesthetic. And the store owner had this extra space on top of her store, started thinking about what she was going to do with it. Instead of opening it up to more retail, 
thinks this would make a really nice big studio apartment. And they had used it for photo shoots, magazine stuff, special events, like dinners. So now you can rent just that room. So this isn't a full-on service hotel. And your expectations are different. Right. It's the kind of thing where, I, I mean, I really, I said the Airbnb, but I think that's true. Like, it's one or two people max. You get a key. You kind of come and go as you want. They leave you, like, a booklet full of recommendations for the neighborhood, which you don't have to take. You're probably from the U.S., so your phone probably works. There's Wi-Fi. You might just want to walk around the neighborhood. It's in a really central part of town. So it's a little more hands-off, and I thought that was a smart way to go was by just, like, hyper-focusing and kind of trying it with one room. And if it doesn't work, then they didn't lose out. Yeah, that's a good way of sort of dipping your toe in and working your way toward exactly. a, a potential opportunity. But I do. But it seems like the same thing that Mayor's talking about with West Elm and with Restoration Hardware, which is these are brands that have a very distinctive aesthetic. And if you shop there at all, or if you even kind of know it, you know what that aesthetic is. And I do think aesthetics in the hotel business are actually a really important part of people's choice and people's selection. So to me, it feels like what they're saying is, you know what West Elm is, or you know what Restoration Hardware is. If that's your thing, then this is a hotel that's basically built on that thing. And West Elm's hotel is only 14 rooms, or no, Restoration Hardware's hotel is only 14 rooms. So they're both starting... Everyone's starting on a small-ish scale. It's great to start on a smallish scale, but I don't care where I am. If I'm in a hotel and my room service is cold, I'm going to call down and say, hey, the room service wasn't great. Can you send it back up again? And I, it, it's a black mark against that hotel. But what if I don't the care how the sofa looks. But well, what if the good. room service was great? If you book that thing because it's West Elm, then your consciousness about West Elm is kind of top of mind with that. Anybody else is just sort of like, was the price good? Was the location good? Whatever. Yeah, but you want to, you know, Bulgari very famously essentially ended up Back, contracting the back end to Marriott. Yeah. So it's a, a Bulgari veneer on a fancy Marriott hotel. Again, that I don't think that was the original plan with Bulgari. It sort of shifted when I was looking at this a long time ago. That, again, you, you've got the win-win because someone who knows how to make sure the towels are clean is handling that And bit. who knows if that's what's happening with these guys. Yeah. Right, that's what I was going to ask. Is do you know, To be do, determined. Right, do, they know, mm. do we know whether they're sort of taking over an existing property, hiring, you know, management Not Restoration Hardware doesn't even have an address or an opening date. So, yeah. the, so I should just you know, add that. Maybe they're, leaving, maybe they're leaving the door open for what Mark's talking about. But the other thing I would say is, Mark, what do you think about the Baccarat here? Because that's a sort of very, very high end version of the same thing. I think right? going to the background feels like stepping into a time machine and waking up in 1997. <laughs> oh. Can you believe I'm actually nostalgic Every, for that right everyone now? Everyone just Yeah, that sighed. actually doesn't sound that <laughs> okay, bad. Can I pull the room really quickly? Has anyone here ever purchased something that they liked in their hotel room? Yes. What was it? Uh, at the, interestingly enough, at the Restoration on King in Charleston. Which is not not owned, yeah. by, as, as far as I know, not owned by Restoration Hardware or whatever, but they had this really fantastic hand lotion uh, that was actually made in New York State, weirdly enough, and I thought it was terrific, so I bought some. Did you buy it from the hotel? Yeah, okay. I did. Anybody I did. else? I have not. Have you ever purchased furniture that you saw in a hotel? No, because the prices are laughable. I mean, laughable. And that's, but I would, that's the but thing that always sticks for me, is I've been in some really cool hotels and seen really cool design features, things that would never fit in my tiny New York apartment. I was about to say that's probably why I haven't bought anything, because it wouldn't fit. But, you know, suppose I magically had more than 25 square feet of apartment to work with. Like, 
I don't know if I yeah. would ever actually buy anything no, that but I saw I in think a hotel. This is what I mean. I, I recently stayed at the Dewberry, also in Charleston. Different trip. The aesthetics are fantastic. Like the furniture is, it's all mid-century modern. It's very interesting. Really, really beautiful stuff. And I'm sure that the prices are, it probably all comes from design within reach or whatever, and the prices are not what I'm looking for. But if it were West Elm, if that were kind of like my vector, and the stuff that I saw at the hotel pleased me as much as what the Dewberry had, that would be something I would think about. Like, hey, can I get that little table? Can I get that chair? Can I get that bar cart? Whatever. At a price that is, I, price sensitivity, obviously, uh, you know, a critical issue. But West Elm is, you know, that's and a. I think you would know what you were getting into with asking how much the table was at a West Elm hotel. Right, right. It's different. Whatever's at the Dewberry is probably custom made. It's a whole different universe, you know. Right. But West Elm, you know, people know what that. Again, you're they're trading on the brand equity that they've already got. But can I can I mention the ultimate elastic brand, which has just moved into hotels and is also moving into cruises soon, which is Virgin. Oh yeah. And if we look at Virgin, and I. It it is a unique company in so many ways. But growing up in Britain, I watched Virgin try and fail very admirably at the craziest things. For a while, there was Virgin Brides. Then there was Virgin Money. There's Virgin Mobile in the UK. There's Virgin Atlantic. They did Little Red, which was a domestic UK airline. We've got Virgin Hotels, which scored very well in our Reader's Choice Awards in People Chicago. Love them. Yeah. People love them. The cruise, they're not calling them Virgin Cruises. They're calling them Virgin Voyages, I believe. Virgin is this is the sort of Mac Daddy. We've got Virgin Galactic. Yeah. This Mac Daddy of brand extensions in hospitality. And what Virgin does so well is fail. So Virgin tries things and it doesn't count against it. When Virgin Brides went kaput after Richard Branson's photo op in a wedding dress, and again, if you want to, you want that burned on your brain, do Google that because it's an incredible <laughs> oh image. God. And good for him, it's amazing. I'm gonna Google it right, right. now. <laughs> you know, he's such a he's a he's a very good sport that way and very wily. But I think what's interesting about these brand extensions is how do you try them without risk to your original brand? Because these in ten years' time, I don't know if Crystal will still be in the air business or West Elm will still be in the hotel business. Oh, do you yeah. Know when That's I was... a priceless photo, by the way. Please <laughs> do Google that photo. It's magnificent. So when I was talking to Edie, one thing that popped into my head was a Richard Branson quote about how do you become a millionaire, be a billionaire and start an airline. <laughs> yeah, but he's kept on running them. I mean, I think, but this is to your point, Mark, like the Virgin brand to some extent can survive failures because the Virgin brand is about being on the cutting edge and sort of trying oh, new things. Yeah. It's part of what they do. And so, which is not true of, for example, well, I don't know if it's, it doesn't seem to be true to me of Crystal, for example, or Peninsula. You know, Peninsula is about being super buttoned up, having a really tight flawless, experience. Same thing with Four Seasons, right? Four Seasons, flawless, right? Like that's what they're all about. Whereas Virgin is younger, a little hipper. It's it's okay. They swing a little bit. It's fine. And so when something doesn't go quite right, that's all part of the party, you know? And I also think people are willing to try Virgin experiences and like new Virgin attempts because they know that it might not stick around that long, but they kind of want to be the first people to do but, it. But it's going to be a story. Exactly. Is what it is. Like, even if you hate it, it'll be and funny and interesting. And flying on a virgin plane, like, just 
right now is a story because you're going to have an experience that's different than what you would have flying like American or United or something like but that. But do you think, I'm fascinated, I think, you know, there is not a company in the world that wouldn't want to understand Virgin's secret source. And it's, it isn't just Richard Branson, although he's a huge, something about Virgin is such brilliant. And I'm sure some, please, if there's any listeners who've worked at Virgin, can you tell us what the secret is? Please tweet at us. But the question of how do they make people in their 60s love flying on Virgin. People like Meredith, would Virgin be kind of an exciting, fun thing to try? It still is, yeah. And, and it's, you know, Virgin America started and everyone, wow, they did cool lights. They, and they did purple a, lights. lights and they did, <laughs> they did on-demand food. Now, they weren't actually doing anything particularly different. When I flew Virgin America, was I excited? Yeah, totally. And I'm a, you know, I don't get on a plane that isn't Delta until you drug me and club <laughs> me over the head and drag me on board. Well, I know, I think, you know, we're about to see an explosion in self-driving car technology, right? Which is not a, it's sort of a travel thing, right? But Apple's going to get into that. And I think that the, it's kind of like the difference between Apple getting, or at least the expectations that you would have with Apple getting into that game versus Google getting into that game. And Google just broke off part of their company, right? To start a yeah, self-driving... so confusing. It's very alphabet. <laughs> Which letter? I'm sure. I think we're on W. Yeah. Starting with W. Yeah. Uh, but no, but I mean, you would expect the Google one to work just fine. It would probably know exactly where it was going. And you'd probably, it probably wouldn't warp while it was on the way there, the way the Apple one would. But the Apple one, you would expect the ride to be a lot more fun. But it's the old Justin Long, Apple versus Microsoft ads sort of saying, nerdy, oh, you know, Microsoft, we'll do, yes, our laptop will do this, and I'm, then- I'm sorry, wait, can you do that again? Well, oh, you know, Microsoft will be like, we can really PC compute ever. very hard. PC Mac. And then, so it's Yoda now? <laughs> John Hodgman became Yoda. Well, John Hodgman. Can I just I'm, say for the record that I would way rather hang out with John Hodgman than Justin Long? Like that commercial never worked for me. Yeah, but I, I But I think, I think there is a, an irksome, but I think that positioning, and it's interesting. I would like to ask everyone, in terms of what brands outside the hospitality space you think could successfully throw their hat into the ring, whether it were a new airline, a hotel, who would you be excited? If Beyonce opened a hotel, I'd go. Could people open a hotel? Um, yes. And Brad Pitt and George yeah, Clooney Brad Pitt and George are separately Clooney. opening hotels. Yeah. And you sure as hell people are going to go to those. Yeah. Women women are booking hotel rooms in their hotels. But what is your expectation? Like, I get what your expectation is on a, on a Virgin Atlantic flight or whatever, but what is your expectation of a George Clooney hotel? What is the George the George Clooney brand is like good looks and acting. Right, know? yeah. <laughs> and? Would it be on Lake Como? Well, I mean, what are you expecting when you, when well, you book can that I, hotel? Can I draw a parallel? So I've stayed at the Plaza Versace in Australia. Again, the first Palazzo Versace in the world was in a very strange part of Queensland, which was already quite counterintuitive. And I was very excited to stay at this seven-star hotel, which I imagine would be like stepping inside Donatella's mind. It would just be like cigarettes and gorgeous people and lots of sequins. And, and like, like patterns everywhere. And like vodka and just smoky rooms. And you would just be in the equivalent of Studio 54, but more louche. It was next to a McDonald's, wedged into a tiny footprint where the sign for Palazzo Versace and the McDonald's sign, you couldn't take a photograph of the sign for Palazzo Versace without getting the McDonald's sign in it. Was this pre-Instagram? Uh, this was pre-Instagram. This was 10 years ago. 
you went in and the hotel was so small that you could hardly walk around the pool because they'd wedged a pool into the middle of it. The rooms, there weren't even flat screen TVs. They were cathode ray TVs when flat screen were reasonably ubiquitous in luxury properties. The Wi-Fi didn't work properly. The design was generically luxurious rather than Medusa heads on the soap and Medusa mm. carved everything. And it was such, I just, I've never looked at Donatella the same way again. Really? Have you gone to Ralph Lauren's uh, uh, restaurant? I'm waiting for someone to invite me. Really? <laughs> I don't think I look good enough in Jodhpur's together. <laughs> I, I mean, but generally speaking, people feel like it's a pretty good place. It's got a decent place to get a very Ralph Lauren-esque meal. And the one in Chicago does very well and, and occupies a very sort of ladies who lunch premium kind of position. And it's really resonated. But again, I think like those Ralph Lauren vacations, they very cleverly sort of contracted out the back end. Plaza Versace did that and there was going to be a Dubai one with temperature controlled sand, which would have been amazing, but that sort of fell away and and it ebbed away because I think the money ran out. Nothing says Dubai like temperature controlled sand. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But it just, I have to say, I did think Obviously, we know there are more people working at Versace than Donatella, but it did sort of tarnish her Donatella-ness to me because I wanted it to be absurd and delicious and feel a little bit like I'd had a naughty time away, and it felt like some awful upgraded regional hotel. Did you feel like if Johnny had been alive, that would never have happened? I think if the company had been in healthier financial state, what often happens, and when I was writing about the uh, Italian brands diversifying, another analyst said to me, look, whenever you find a family-owned business, like most Italian fashion brands, they think of the companies the way that individuals think of their portfolios. They're always looking to diversify to shore themselves up against unexpected happenings. Companies should not necessarily diversify. If you're really good at something and the margins are good, you should double down on it and triple, triple, take over that space. And I think that was part of the problem. Versace is a family-controlled company. It was, what else do we get into in case the bags stop selling? Well, I have an example of somebody doing exactly what Mark suggested that I actually thought was a great expansion. So El Al Airlines, they're in Israel. They're, I mean, they're in Tel Aviv, which is one of the big tech capitals of the world. And they decided to take advantage of that. And they started their own tech incubator. It's called Cockpit. And what they do is there are a lot of people with startup ideas in Tel Aviv who are looking for capital. So if one of the ideas that they have is sort of travel related or something that the airline could benefit from, they can partner with El Al. El Al gets first dibs on whatever their product is, but they get all the same perks of an incubator like meeting with VCs and funding and networking. So one of the examples that somebody came to them with was, I have this idea for an adhesive and I think if we used it on blankets, they wouldn't fall off people's laps while they were eating a meal on a plane. And El Al was like, okay, let's do it. And so they funded this product, and now they use it on El Al planes. I mean, but this seems to me a little smarter, to be honest with you, than than even Four Seasons getting into the plane business. Because that seems like a – it's not a stretch in a certain brand extension kind of way. But, like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, from a business perspective, what do you – like, the airline business is a tough business to begin with. How does you, it shore up what you're already doing? Yeah, whereas this feels like brands that are not travel brands getting into the travel space. And part of me wonders – 
like about the difference between El Al doing that, where they understand travel really well. What they're really looking to do is sort of emphasize their own travel business. They're looking for new opportunities within a space that they understand very well versus some of these other players where the brand extension may make sense, but they're also getting into a business. I, I just wonder, like, is the travel business particularly sort of ripe for this? You know, none well, of these guys are starting like it, a record label, right? Well, like, I feel like it doesn't hurt if you're a business executive at one of these companies and then you get a bunch of free travel because you're doing market research. I Yeah, but... But it's but, the glamour. Look, travel, this is one of the things that we love. And I, I hope that one of the things we love about traveling is there's still a little sheen of glamour to it. And I think travel as a business is actually super hard. Yeah. People are drawn to it because it has the fairy dust. I will say of all the brand extensions that we're talking about, Equinox is looking at opening hotels. I believe Equinox's first hotel will be in New York. That is the one that I not only think makes sense, but I believe operationally will probably run well because Equinox already knows how to operate a gym, keep the towels clean, get it staffed, make sure that, you know, if you're paying a premium, will your shampoo be refilled? Of course it will. And that to me, I see Equinox. They also as have the gift stores. They have like you can buy their. They, right. they know how to merchandise, so they've got that. So part. that to me, of all the brand extensions we're looking at, is the most intuitive. I don't think it necessarily relates to their current business, but I think wellness for travel. It's what Western has yeah. has positioned itself as, and I think Equinox going in and saying where Western meets Four Seasons. I get that. And I think what's smart about it, too, is that when you're in an unfamiliar city or a place that you don't know that well, if you're really committed to fitness, having somebody take the trouble of tracking down a gym and figuring out the hours and sort of doing all that work is really helpful and people will use it. Whereas I don't need help shopping. Like if I'm in another city, I can figure that part out by myself. Like, and I also well. think, again, like Equinox is for people who go to the gym, it's a household name. So if you are super fit and you want to stay fit, there's no CrossFit hotel. So I think that you can trust that the Equinox Hotel, you can stay fit, you can work out, you're going to have everything that you need, like Mark said, that you want to get out of a regular hotel, but you're going to have what caters to you as a but, person who values wellness. But do you have a Barry's Bootcamp Hotel? I mean, is that is that, or is that one Stop step too far? Do you have ideas. a Soul <laughs> But I, different question, Soul Cycle. Do you have a Soul Cycle Hotel? But I would argue the challenge about something like Soul Cycle, I think it has the same resonance in a cultish way, your soul aversary, all of those things, but it doesn't have the operational know how that running a gym does. As someone who has been to both Equinox and Soul Cycle, I would agree. I would say that. You know, people go to Equinox and they do their work. Like the people who go to the Equinox across from our office, like they do their work at Equinox. They sit on their laptops and they do it. And then they go to the gym after work. Like it's not, it's more than just I'm going to go to spin class and then I'm going to shower and leave. It's like they have already created this space where people want to go but if the, they are people who value fitness. But like in the West Elm way, if you opened a like you know, 20 room Soul Cycle boutique hotel with a Soul Cycle in the basement. Everybody from Soul Cycle would go to your hotel. Like it's a cult, like, you know, like in a way that is even more profound than West Elm or Restoration Hardware. I mean, I think Equinox also, if they could cut down on the amount of stuff that you had to bring with you when you travel, like if you're a runner, you always have to pack your shoes with you. If you're into yoga, there are people who bring their own mats or their own bolsters. Like imagine how much space that would save and how much energy that would save for a person who knew that they could just get everything when they got to the hotel. I also think that, so I'm originally from Dallas and SoulCycle just opened there because they were only on the coasts before like last year. So I think that as much as it is a household name in like 
New York, LA, and maybe like a few cities. It's in London. Okay, London. I think maybe Denver. Like it's just not as well known as like Equinox is a gym. And Equinox polled its members and claimed that 95% of them said they'd be interested in staying at an Equinox hotel, which if that number is true, that bolsters their business case. Again, if I were launching a if I were launching a product extension, I would make sure my numbers shored that up. But but I can believe if I think of Equinox as a lifestyle I can see how people are drawn to it, but I'm just saying operationally, when I think about running hotels, it's, and I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who work at hotels, it's really, really hard work. It's a grind, keeping those rooms clean and getting check-in on time. And when a room goes wrong, getting the maintenance guy up there in good time. And and dealing with one guest who thinks another guest is too loud and everybody wanting to be moved. I mean, there's just throwing so many... a party next door yeah, that's just... too loud. But, 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 you know, but there's so many interpersonal hard. parts of it that make it even tougher. Okay, but that doesn't seem to be the barrier here. You've got Virgin going to space. You know, Virgin is launching Virgin Galactic, has launched Virgin Galactic, and they've failed multiple times. And people, you know, like these are lives at risk. Kind well, that's of because situations. Lance Bass really cares about space. <laughs> no, but these are 208, what are they, $280,000 a seat or something like that? They're over $200,000 a seat. Basically, people are going to go up. If it ever works, if it ever works, they're going to go up, they're going to float for four seconds, right? Or something like that. And then they're going to come back down. I think space is the ultimate aspirational travel experience. Would you say it's the final frontier? I would say it is the final frontier. No, really though. But like, I mean, people are going to want and dream about going to space for as long as we aren't there. Sure. But but if you look at everybody else who's in this space, right? If you look at Blue Origin, if you look at SpaceX, mm-hmm. and there are companies that nobody's ever heard of that are doing this right. too, they all have a backup plan to the consumer sort of version of this, right? I don't think that Virgin Galactic does. Like, Virgin Galactic is not proposing that they launch satellites, which SpaceX is and Blue Origin is. So it's really, it's a bold move. No, but Virgin always brings something. So Virgin has fashion designer designed spacesuits. They do. And Virgin, and when they it, look great. When it opened its hotel, it said this is the first hotel expressly designed for female business travelers and explained how the corridors were very clearly lit so that women alone at night didn't feel vulnerable the way that they can in sexy disco dark corridors. The rooms or are- in space. I've seen Alien. <laughs> <laughs> no, the rooms are configured so that there is a particularly intuitive way to get ready in a separate area, but you can have a meeting without your bed being visible. So you could have a collar into your room without there being any risk of a misunderstanding. You can pull a screen over. So again, what Virgin is so clever at is giving a USP to its version of something. And I think maybe when we look at the brand extensions, what we want to say is, okay, you're doing a hotel West Elm. You got nice furniture in there. I love West Elm. Other than that, what is the West Elminess that you're going to bring? And I think that's also what we're not, or maybe that's what we're missing. That, or that I'm missing. Well, I think when it comes to travel in some ways, you know, something like space, there's usually a wave one and then a wave two and beyond. So if you look at sort of how we've been covering Cuba over the last year, the 2016 coverage of Cuba was sort of the people who wanted to be first, the people who were fine with not staying at nice hotels, the people who were okay with doing things a little more lo-fi, and then coming back and wanting to be the person who was first and got to tell their friends about it. And you can only have those people for so long. And so I think anything with an interesting gimmick, if there's a really cool hotel that's associated with a celebrity and has this insane design feature that you've been hearing about, people will go once to check it out 
so that they can report back and take a crazy Instagram photo. But that doesn't mean that anyone else will go after that. And it's what I'm curious about is the longevity of it. Like, okay, everybody went to the supermodel cafe in New York City the first week that it opened because it was hilarious that supermodels ran a restaurant. And then it closed because no one wanted to go after that. Yeah. It takes me back to Mark's question, which is a good one to close out on, is who's next into this space? Like, what when you look around and you think about what kind of brands that are out there doing things that are not travel that might step into the travel space in one way or another. Does anybody rise to the top of, of your mind? Well, I think when Cipriani looked at opening the Mr. C hotels, it, again, in an incredibly dull way, I think about this operationally. I want to see restaurant. I want to see Stephen Starr opening hotels. I want to see Keith McNally not providing the restaurant for a hotel, but doing Danny the, Meyer. the whole Danny Meyer. I want to see a restaurateur opening a hotel or bed and beverage. I, we're seeing in LA, lovely David Kaplan and and Alex Day at the Death and Co team. They not only have a bar, but they have ten rooms, and the ECC boys who own. Slew of cocktail bars in Paris. They opened one hotel, which is one of my favorite hotels in the world, and they're opening two more in London. I want to see hospitality people who run the food and beverage. David Chang. Yeah. Can you imagine? Or Stone Brewing is opening up a hotel. Because they know how to do the boring bits that actually matter, so then they can focus on the fun stuff because they've got the mechanics. And they're all secretly kind of a part of travel anyway. Yeah. If you're a restaurateur, if you run a hospitality business like that, you're in the travel business. Ooh, you, what if the president of the United States had a hotel? Oh, please. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a, We're definitely done now. That's it. That is it. Okay. Thanks to all of you guys for participating today. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. I know that you have, but for those who haven't, we're on iTunes. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com, of course. And uh, we are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us. Send us feedback and give us reviews on iTunes. We love to see them. Meredith, where can the folk find you? On Twitter at oh, hey there, Mayor. And we are starting to plan our 2017 schedule. So if you have anything that you particularly want to hear about next year, please tweet at me um, because we'd love to get your suggestions in. Thank you, Meredith. That's exactly it. I mean, we want you guys to enjoy this. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, if you think there's a topic we haven't tackled, we'd love to hear about it because the more interaction we get from you, the more we enjoy it. And you can reach me, BrickBatsOrBKs, on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood. That's Mark with a K, Elwood with two L's. And Lily? I am at Lily Marcus. That's L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S on Twitter. And I am Lilit Goes on Instagram. And I am at Brad Rick. Happy party season and have a great weekend. And thank you for tuning in, everybody. Bye.